Well, we have a group of fifth and sixth graders away this weekend. They'll be returning this afternoon for, from our crossover retreat. So not only uh, fifth and sixth graders, but they have appropriate chaperones, I want to assure you, who have gone with them. So our prayers are with them for a safe return. We're delighted that our mission team from Nicaragua is back safely as well, and we look forward to to hearing from them about the good work that God allowed them to do in that country. And speaking of missions, I do want to remind you that the sign-up is beginning for Operation Inasmuch, our annual one-day mission blitz in our community. Not only Oakmont, but a number of other churches historically have partnered with us, and you can sign up online or go down to Grand Central, and uh, the sign-up sheets are already there. I've already signed up for uh, a group myself this morning, so I hope that you will go by and look at the opportunities to serve in our community. Well, let me ask you to take your Bibles. We're going to be reading out of Paul's letter to the church at Philippi. Paul wrote 13 letters, and so the longest is Romans, and the shortest is Philemon. So if you go to Romans and then First and Second Corinthians, and then you get at this little series of letters that I like to call General Electric Power Company. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians. That's how you can remember that little series, General Electric Power Company. So we're in Philippians, and we're still looking at some of the women of the New Testament. And this morning, we're going to be looking at two women. Their names are Euhodia and Sintike. Euhodia and Sintike. And we know from reading the text that Euodia and Sintike have not been getting along with each other. And in fact, we're going to read a few verses just to show you how Paul is building up to his conversation with them. He's dropping some hints. He's giving some clues that things are not going well at the church because of this disagreement between these two women. So let's go to Philippians chapter 1 and start with verse 27. Paul writes, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Now, most of the time, disagreements and conflict would never occur if we just conducted ourselves in a manner according that's worthy of the gospel according to Christ. So already Paul is dropping a hit. Conduct yourselves in a manner that is worthy. Then, whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit. See that reference to unity? In one spirit, contending as one man or one soul, one person for the faith of the gospel. Then you go down to verse 2 beginning uh, chapter 2 beginning with verse 1 if you have any any encouragement from being united united with Christ if any comfort from his love if any fellowship with the spirit if any tenderness and compassion then make my joy complete by being like-minded by having the same love being one in spirit and in purpose. One in spirit. See that reference to unity? 
Then in verse 5 of the same chapter, your attitude or your mind should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Then we move over in chapter 2 to verses 14 and 15. Now Paul's really starting to hint. Do everything without complaining or arguing. Do you hear that? Do everything without complaining or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation. Okay, Paul's dropping these hints. And then we get to chapter 4, verse 1 and follow. Go with me here. Therefore, my brothers, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, this is how you should stand firm in the Lord. You're going to see several references to this phrase. In the Lord, dear friends. Verse 2. I plead with Euhodia, and I plead with Syntyche to agree with each other in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, loyal yoke fellow, this is another unidentified person, help these women who have contended. This is an athletic image. You wouldn't pick this up from the English, but it really is an athletic image of people who are on the same ball team and they are competing together, who have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. Sisters and brothers in Christ, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, I, I don't know about you, but no person that I know seems to like watching their family fight and feud with each other. No, no person that I know seems to enjoy watching their family members being estranged from each other. I don't know about you, but no parent that I know seems to like to watch their children fight with each other, whether they're in the home or grown up and on their own. I just haven't seen too many parents that sit back and say, I can't wait for the next fight between my children. And I don't know how your children are or were. Mine always seemed to get in a tussle and an argument when I got on the telephone. Did you ever notice that? They wait until you get on the telephone and then they break out in disagreement or fighting. I can assure you of something else. No pastor. No pastor like an Apostle Paul, a pastoral leader, enjoys watching his or her members fight with each other or be estranged from each other. If you think about those times when your family has been ripped apart by conflict or disagreement, then maybe you'll have a sense of how the Apostle Paul is feeling here about 
Euhodia and Syntyche and this disagreement that's been brewing and that's in effect at the church of Philippi. Now, we don't know too much about these two women except what's given us here. Perhaps they were deaconesses at the church at Philippi. Perhaps they held other key leadership posts. And we don't know too much about what the fight was about, what the disagreement, the conflict resolved around. Was it over the color of the carpet or the paint on the walls at the church at Philippi? Was it by chance because one had a different preference for a music style than the other? Or maybe there was a disagreement over the leadership style of other leaders in the church. Was there some jealousy that one had for the other? Maybe there was a disagreement over biblical or theological interpretations of Scripture. And keep in mind, Scripture in that day was the Hebrew Scriptures because the Christian Scriptures were still in the process of being written. In fact, this ended up being a Christian Scripture for us. But at the end of the day, Paul thought these things need not threaten their being sisters and co-laborers in Christ, and it shouldn't threaten the unity of the Philippian church. So Paul offers these multiple clues, as we've just seen, kind of hinting and then more strongly jumping into the fray that there shouldn't be this disunity in this church. He, he writes this in a letter, by the way, that was meant to be read in public worship. So this letter that we have that we call Philippians was actually read to the church at Philippi in public worship. Paul thinks the conflict is unnecessary, obviously, because in athletic terms, he reminds Euhodia and Syntyche that they have contended, in almost in an athletic kind of view of being in a game together, they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel. Paul surely had to be thinking to himself, my gracious, they've worked together all of these years with me and with others. They have worshipped together all of these years with each other and with others, so why not now? Why is this division creating a situation where they're not willing to work with each other. Paul had to be thinking to himself, they need a meeting of the minds. They need to come together. You know, when God reads our names out of the book of life, you know, did you notice in verse 3 that Paul talks about how our names are written? If we're followers of Jesus, our names are written in the book of life. When God, one day, when he brings the world to completion, as we know it right now, when God does that and he starts reading the names of the book of life, first of all, I want my name to be in that book. How about you? I want my name to be in that book. And when he starts reading the list of those names through the ages, and how long is that? How many... How many Eons is that going to take? Read the names that are in the book of life. I'm, I'm just kind of wondering, do we want the main thing that people recall about us 
is that like these two women, we stopped working together and we stopped worshiping together and we fueled the fight needlessly. Is that what we want to be remembered about us, that we were components and sources of disunity? When our name is read. You know, like a family member, like a parent, like a pastor, I also believe that God doesn't like, He doesn't celebrate when His children, His people, fight and feud and are estranged needlessly. Now, we could read lots of Scripture, and you would probably be surprised at the amount of Scripture that is present that we could, could read this morning that deals with division and coming together in oneness and unity. But I'm just going to remind you of a couple of them. I'm going to remind you of Psalm 133 where the psalmist begins right out from the get-go by saying how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell together in unity. I'm going to remind you of Jesus' great high priestly prayer that he prayed just days before his death in John chapter 17 when Jesus is praying for his current disciples of the moment, but he's also praying for his future disciples, meaning you and me. And in John 17, verse 23, Jesus prays, may they, speaking of you and me, his future disciples, may they be brought together in complete unity. That was Jesus' prayer for us. Paul writes to that church that had so many multiple problems and conflicts, the church at Corinth, and in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10, Paul starts out at the very beginning of his letter to that church. He says, I appeal to you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another, so that there may be no divisions among you, and that you may be perfectly united in mind and thought. And then two chapters later, in chapter 3, Paul once again takes them on about the divisions that were taking place in the church. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 3, Paul is writing to the church at Ephesus, and he says to them, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. And now here in Philippians chapter 4, verse 2, once again, Paul twice not just once, but twice, uses the word plead. I plead with you, Euodia. I plead with you, Sintike, that you agree with each other in the Lord. Now, from a practical standpoint and basis, how does that happen? How, how, how do we agree with each other? How do we have a meeting of the minds when disagreement, conflict erupts in your family, your work setting, certainly here in the life of the church? I want you to notice a couple things about what Paul writes in chapter 4 of Philippians. I want you to notice, first of all, in chapter 4, verse 1, Paul tells the Philippians to stand firm, and he uses that phrase for the first time, in the Lord. Then in verse 2, he tells these two women to agree with each other in the Lord. He uses that phrase a second time. 
And by the time he gets to verse 4, Paul has picked up the two by four and split it over the church church's head one more time just in case they didn't get it and he says to them rejoice in the Lord always I say to you rejoice and then Paul does something now we didn't read the rest of these verses but you really ought to read down through verse 9 because Paul goes on to remind the church at Philippi that the Lord's coming that the Lord is coming soon and he goes on therefore to say because the Lord's coming soon Take everything that worries you, all of your anxieties, and cast them to God. Pray to Him, and He will give you His peace. And then Paul goes on to say, now I want you to focus on the things that are really important in life. I want you to focus on those things. He says, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely or admirable or excellent or praiseworthy, Think on these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Now, I want you to listen to this carefully, because this is important. This is important stuff for God's people to understand. Our unity as a church, and when I'm saying church, first of all, I mean the church universal. All of God's people around this globe and our unity as a local church right here is not based on thinking alike or agreeing on every matter that comes before us. It's not based on a uniformity of belief or practice. It's based on a commonality of our love for Jesus and of our love for each other, which is rooted, as Paul wrote in this text, in the Lord. My unity with my wife, Leslie, is not based on our thinking about everything alike on every single matter. It's not based on a belief or a practice and a uniformity of that because Trust me, there are things we don't always agree on. That might have shocked you just to hear that right there. That your pastor and his wife do not agree on every little thing that comes our way. And when we disagree, I'll have to admit it most times, she's right. But you know, when we can't come to an agreement, what you need to understand is that our unity is not based on agreeing on everything, it, our unity is based on our love for our Lord, and it's based on our love and our commitment to each other in the marriage. Just because we disagree on something doesn't mean we're going to leave each other. All of that is rooted in the Lord. So understand this. Agreement and acceptance in the Lord, agreeing with our minds and our hearts, agreeing in acceptance in the Lord, does not necessarily mean approval or affirmation of something. You see, we may not approve or affirm of some theological belief, some action that others have, but we still love each other. Just like in a marriage, we still accept each other. We still agree to be brothers and sisters in Christ our unity rooted in Jesus. 
Because I've got to tell you something, friends. If you think you're going to find a community of faith called a church where everybody agrees on every single issue that comes before them, you're in for one of the biggest disappointments of your life. If you find that church, let me know. I want to see it. May even want to be a part of it. So let me tell you what I think it boils down to. I think at some point we all have to decide are we going to love our positions more than we love each other? Or are we going to love each other more than our positions? Are we going to focus more on our commonalities or are we going to focus on our differences? And most of the time I've discovered with people our commonalities are always greater than our differences. When Representative Steve Scalise walked into the House chamber this past Thursday morning, remember the man who was wounded, who was shot in, Ar in Alexandria, Virginia several months ago as they were practicing for a House softball game? When Steve Scalise walked in, having been severe, had, had severe wounds and, and surgeries and physical therapy that he's had to undergo. When he walked in that House chamber this past Thursday morning, every member of the House of Representatives, Republicans and Democrats, and he's a Republican, stood up and applauded and cheered his arrival. When John McCain, several, several weeks ago, maybe a month or two ago, I lose track of time, after his diagnosis of a glioblastoma brain tumor entered the Senate. Republicans and Democrats came over, shook his hand, hugged his neck. Why? Because at that moment they were Americans. They were not involved in partisan political politics. At that moment they understood that we're talking about life and death, folks. And suddenly we love each other more than we love our positions. I want to end this morning and put some words on the screen from a man who lived 400 years ago. This is 17th century English Puritan pastor Richard Baxter from his book, The Saints' Everlasting Rest. And I want you to see his words that were written almost 400 years ago. They speak to us, I think. He writes, above all, see that you are followers of peace and unity both in the church and among yourselves. He who is not a son of peace is not a son of God. All other sins destroy the church as a result, but division and separation demolish it directly. Building the church is simply an orderly joining of materials. So what is disjoining but pulling it down? Many doctrinal differences must be tolerated in a church. And why? If not for unity and peace. Therefore, disunion and separation is utterly intolerable. Do not believe that people are friends of the churches if they try to cure and reform her by cutting her throat. Those who say that no truth must be concealed for the sake of peace 
usually have as little of the one as of the other. I still differ with many people in several things of considerable moment, and yet if I should zealously press my opinion on others so as to disturb the peace of the church and separate from my brethren who are contrary-minded, I fear lest I should prove a firebrand in the church. So God forbid that I should follow any factious church-rending course, but if so, you must forsake me and not follow me a step. Richard Baxter could write those words almost 400 years ago because he understands that we can only have a meeting of the minds as God's people. It can only happen unless we stay rooted in the Lord. Christ our Lord invites to his table all who love him, who do earnestly repent of their sins and seek to live in peace with each other. You can't say you love God according to the scripture if you don't love each other. That's why Jesus always said, if you've got something against your brother, you better work it out first before you come and offer your gift on the altar. Because you can't say you love me and my Father if you're at odds with someone else. So this is our opportunity to get right with God, to confess and to name the sins of our lives, known and unknown, those things that we would dare not speak aloud, we now can speak to God and seek His forgiveness and his pardon. So join me as we take a moment of silent prayer to name and confess those sins. Oh God, our Heavenly Father, if there is anything that we have done or said in recent days that you have now brought to our minds, anything that has created a barrier between us and you or us and others, we pray you would forgive. If there is any attitude of our hearts or minds that needs cleansing and renewing. If that has placed a barrier between us and you, O oh God, we pray you would now forgive. If there is any course that we have taken upon, any action that is moving us forward in a particular direction, Lord, 
that represents a barrier between us and you or us and others, we pray now that you would forgive. Take our sin, God, as you have promised, and forgive it and remember it no more and cleanse us, change us, God. Allow us to become all that you have intended us to be originally when you made and formed us. Allow us, God, to be more and more like your Son, Jesus our Lord. This is our prayer, and we ask it in Christ's name. Amen.